0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart.
1: A lot of questions. A lot of doubt based on knowledge, based on this life that we experience. We've uh, been doing this series on doubt. And we see in here that there also exists questions in doubt. These are real people. There's a guy by the name of Jeremiah. He wasn't a bullfrog, as some of you uh, may know, back in the—you're dating yourself, all you boomers. But he was a prophet, and he goes toe to toe with God, just like these people. He's looking around and seeing a lot of things he doesn't like in his life, and we do that as well. And he's asking questions. People refer to him as the weeping prophet. You might look at his books the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations, and he ends up being a whiner. But we can associate with that in our lives. At some point in our lives, he goes toe-to-toe with God. Listen to these words from Lamentations 2, verse 5, 20, and 21. The Lord is like an enemy. Look, O Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and maidens have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. He sees things around him going on he doesn't like. Very much akin to what we experienced on 9-11. Buildings coming down. People dying. Dust in the street. Bodies in that dust. And he looks around him and sees some things he doesn't like. And he says, the Lord is like an enemy. Whom have you ever treated like this? Why is this happening? We've learned about many forms of doubt, but this is probably one of the highest types of doubt that there is in the world. You heard the people on the street answering those questions. And one question that overlaps every generation and culture is the one that interrogates the notion that God cares, that God is loving. It's based on the presence of a few things, evil, Suffering and above all, pre, the precursors to those things, death. And untimely death, peril especially. We don't understand those things. And it's a very prevalent prevalent question that people ask. Je, uh, Jeremiah is poetically asking, how can there be a loving God? How can God care when all these things are happening? And we look around, we see those things happening. It hasn't changed. You heard the woman say, he's not doing a very good job doesn't have his hearing aid turned up. I don't think he's listening. I don't think he cares. And it's the pervasiveness of suffering and evil and death is usually the most effective tool that people use that run without to attack the Bible's revelation that there's a loving God. Now, we proclaim that here week to week. We sing about God's love. We sing about God caring. And we read it in here. And that's probably one of the most convenient excuses people use. And they have a good question. They have a very good question, logically. It appears to be a reasonable complaint. If God is loving like we say he is, if he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he use this power to stop the evil, to stop the suffering, to stop the pain, to stop the death? We ask questions. Why? How? We asked that in 1999. It doesn't go back very far for us. We were living in Colorado at the time that Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold walked into Columbine High School. I could still remember seeing the news helicopters over the school. Why? How? How could that happen? 2001, September, 9-11. We asked the same questions. We asked them with Tsunami. We asked them with Hurricane Katrina. We asked them just as recently as eight weeks ago. In Virginia Tech, Joe Hui walks in, kills 30 people. Why would his parents let him do that? How would this happen? Why did Virginia Tech do this? People are asking those questions out there, and we're asking them ourselves in here. And just as recently as a week ago, this hit me more than anything. A young woman by the name of Kelsey Smith was abducted in a parking lot in Oldham Park, Kansas, where I grew up. And it kind of touched me because of the situation that took place. I didn't realize till afterwards that I used to babysit her father. He grew up across the street from me. Greg Smith. I didn't know till afterwards. And he is a believer. But there's a lot of questions of why and how. And we ask those questions because all these things that happen with evil and suffering and pain are shrouded in darkness. The Bible describes things that way. That's what happened. This man comes out of the darkness, even though it was broad daylight. Nobody expected it. He comes out of the darkness, takes her, kills her. It's darkness. And it's hidden. And we don't know. We don't expect it. If we if we knew, we would stop it, wouldn't we? But it's shrouded in darkness. What happened? How can there be a loving God? You know, we could do an eight-week series on this question alone. But it's a prevalent question that people ask. How can there be a loving God? There's questions that need to be answered. What do we have here? What do we proclaim here at Northgate Christian Fellowship? We believe we have the answers right here. A lot of people doubt that. But I think if you look at the richness of this resource, you'll see the reality of people like Jeremiah asking these questions. And you'll see the resolution to these things because it's real, because it takes place. And we believe this Bible has top priority in Northgate. It's trustworthy. It's carefully preserved. And we look into these resources. We learn a lot about our condition if we look intently and see what God is revealing to us. And we learn something very quickly when we read this. Our perspective is distorted. Our perspective does not have the perspective that God wants us to have. It's distorted. I use that term a lot here. You've heard, you heard me use that. I think there's a purpose for that. There's a different perspective that we have in living this life. And why do we have that different perspective? Well, if you're looking at the Bible for the very first time, it doesn't take you very long to find out. You go three chapters into the book of Genesis and you see something happening. You see a world and a universe is created beautifully and God says everything is good. He's not satisfied until he makes people in his image that are self-transcendent, that are like him, that can reason beyond themselves and see other things beyond themselves. And he says, this is very good. But the pitfall of that was that we took that privilege, that very good aspect of being like God, and we turned it toward ourselves. And we call it the fall. Something happened. That which was very good was not satisfied. And the world became broken in Genesis 3. And we see something happening as a consequence of that. We see thorns and thistles in the ground. We see pain with childbirth. Jesus talks about moth and rust corrupting things, the conditions of the world. It doesn't take very long to see that we broke the world. And it along with that, it distorted our perspective. And we've been that way ever since. We have a distorted perspective. We broke the world. Even those who don't consider this resource realize something's wrong. You hear people say that up there. And what we do is at Northgate is we talk about this story and we fast forward to the person of Jesus Christ. Our central focus is Jesus Christ. And we fast forward to him. We see through the Old Testament uh, uh, an anticipation of the arrival of, of a servant, of arrival of someone who can give us a perspective because our perspective is broken. It's out of proportion. And then Jesus arrives. And what does he do? He tries his best to re- help us realize that our perspective on life is distorted. He works hard in teaching us these things. He works very hard to shed light on the perspective That we lost, there are so numerous, many examples I can think of. But if you just look through the book of Luke, you can see a few. I want you to grab those Bibles and just look at a few with me. We're just going to glance at a few. They may not seem related, but they are to this point. In Luke 13, it's on page 1032. Luke 13, 1 through 5. This is what happens is Jesus teaching. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Something bad had happened. Jesus answered these words. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? They had questions, didn't they, to Jesus? And he wanted to give them the answer. And he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And the word originally means come to ruin. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others who were living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You too will all come to ruin. Where is the sensitivity of Jesus? These guys have questions. There was a tragedy. What is wrong with Jesus? Our perspective is distorted. That's what he's trying to help them realize. Our perspective is distorted. There's something else that he wants them to consider. There's something else that he wants us to consider. You just flip over a few pages to Luke 21 on page 1042. Luke 21, 5 and 6. Verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. It was kind of a nice moment for them. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. What a wet blanket. <laughs> they were enjoying the beauty of the temple. And he says, it's temporary. Enjoy it while it lasts. It ain't going to be here very long. Why would he do that? He's got something to teach us. He's got something to indicate to us that our perspective is distorted. There's something beyond what they're looking at to consider. You just want to say lighten up, but he's got other things throughout the scriptures that go along those themes. Turn over a few pages to Luke 24. These passages were read by uh, Ken on Easter about the resurrection. But there's something also about what we're talking about this morning relevant to this. Luke 24, 13 through 27. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? You stood still. Their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, "Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem, and you do not know the things that have happened there in these days? These dark things, these terrible, horrific things. What things?" He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, "He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Well, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We don't want any more of this suffering." And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had a vision of angels and and that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. And he said to them, how foolish you are. How foolish we are how slow of heart you are to believe what the prophets have spoken, what the resource of this word said. Your perspective is distorted. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Didn't you read these things? And then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, everything that was written that you've been reading, didn't you understand that? He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It seems harsh, but it's based on a distorted perspective. You see, there's something much bigger to consider, and we often don't. Because all we have is what God has given us in our senses, and our ability to see and to reason. We started this series by saying that we are conditioned to doubt because we are capable of knowing, and we only know in part. But we don't realize that. As much as we know, we think we know a lot, but we don't know. So our perspective is distorted, but there's something much bigger to consider. It's distorted. The limitations of our knowledge create false conclusions. We're living within an umbra created by our limited knowledge and doubt. An umbra. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a shadow. How many of you have ever seen an eclipse, solar eclipse? A total eclipse. This is the sun. And the eclipse looks like this. It's blocked out. It's completely blocked out. Do you realize what's happening here? We are in a very small field. We don't know how small it is, but from our perspective, the sun is completely gone. What really happens? I'll show you. The sun is about this size, and if we had the proper perspective, we'd put it over there. We would put the screen over there, and we got the earth right here. You see that little thing there? See that little tiny thing? That's where we live. We're right about there. Put that over there. And every once in a while, this little teeny speck, can you see it? Right there? That's the moon. And it gets in the way and it creates a, an umbra. And it looks like that. That's what we experience on this earth. Our knowledge is like the moon. We have all this, we think it's large but it's not. It's very small. And we don't realize that we're in the shadow of something that darkens that which is something very big and large. It's based on our distorted perspective. Physical death is temporary. The nature of life does not have the final say. Do you know that? In regards to our destiny. And so we It is so hard to grasp because we live under this umbrella. That's where the term umbrella comes from. You see how people walk around with umbrellas and they're under their own little field. And can you share your umbrella with me? There's not enough room here. Just room for me. I'm blocking the sun out. Something very huge. That's what we live with. We're under the shadow that knowledge and doubt creates and we don't realize how big god's word is and how promising and how large that is because we're in this temporary nature of life and we think it has a final say we don't grasp how can there be a loving god how can there be a caring god you know none of us can really articulate a fully satisfactory answer to that age-old question you've been in those situations where there's been tragedy and what do you say i don't know what to say you want to say something and what comes out of your mouth i don't know what to say we don't know how to answer that question. It's an age-old question. But I believe it's a matter of distorted perspective. A tiny speck of knowledge and doubt eclipses that which God has promised us. How can we correct it? We correct it with faith. Faith corrects our perspective. It overwhelms knowledge and doubt. It's large Listen to what happens in the rest of Luke 24, verses 34, 30 to 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the resource of the scriptures to us, were not our hearts burning within us, side of us? Weren't we under an umbra, a shadow where we lost perspective? Didn't he open our eyes to a much bigger perspective? They go from knowledge to faith based on the word of Jesus with this resource. And that's what we proclaim here at Northgate. That's what resolves any obstacles that we have based on our knowledge and our doubt. They come out of this shadow. They go from knowledge to faith. And throughout this series, we've seen that. We saw it in John the Baptist. We see it in Peter. We see it in Thomas. They just go with the temporary nature of things, and they let it stand in the way, and Jesus reveals something that requires faith to go beyond that and to see something that's much bigger. And we hear story after story right up to the present point. We have stories here among us. And I've talked with many of you, some great stories here. It's good to have small groups and fellowship where you can hear those stories. But I'd like one person to share his story with us that talks about questioning God, wondering where God is, and seeing what faith can produce in his life. I'm going to invite Frank Sharges to come up here. Give Frank a hand. (laughs)
0: Well, I had to write a few things down because I never told any story in five minutes or less. So when Pastor Jeff asked me to do this, uh, I was a little reluctant. But anyway, um, prior to 1997, my life was uh, pretty good. I uh, had the house and the whole, all the bells and whistles, everything was good. And 1997, as a lot of you know, Mare Island closed. Um, I lost my job. I'd had it for 22 years. Um, and I, I really fell into a deep depression. Uh, so, as my depression continued, I started to drink and use drugs um, my My marriage was falling apart. My wife decided she was leaving. she left. she took everything but my truck um, and as I'm going to my mom's house to, uh, have my little pity party with her, uh, my truck broke down. So here I am in my truck with everything going on. It seemed like it was the darkest time that I can ever remember in my life. And as I sat in my truck, I looked up and I told God, I said, what's going on? Why are you doing this to me? And, um, I just didn't have any answers and I just doubted that he even existed. And I was actually angry. Um, so I, went, I decided to get away from it. I went to Oregon, stayed with a friend. He actually bought me a car um, and threw the keys at me when I walked through the door. I said, you'll need these while you're here. So the next uh, eight months I stayed there and I something, felt something drawing me back to California. So here I came back to California And I was staying with my sister. And uh, she came home one day and she says, you're never going to guess who I've seen. And I said, who's that? She says, you remember Judy Lilly? And I I said, yeah. What's what's up with her? And she says, well, she's going to a little Baptist church over here and she wanted us to come to a concert. And I said, you know, I'm not going there. You know what I mean? Those people want to get into your business and everything. I'm just not, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to go there, you know. So... (laughs) Anyway, I should come because I, I really, you know, Judy Judy's brother was my best friend. And uh, so I, I was really anxious to see and meet her again and see what was going on in her life. And so I, I, we went to the concert and uh, I started going to church from there. Uh, they had a, a group there, New Beginnings uh, and uh, our New Creations, excuse me. And they touched my heart with song. And so I started going to church and... Um, through a long series of, of different events, uh, uh, God started to heal me. He, went into my, he came into my heart and He started to heal me from the inside out. Um, and through a series of events, uh, both good and bad, God opening doors, closing doors, directing my path, um, He healed me from the lifelong addiction I had to alcohol. Uh, And also the drugs, too. And just as an added bonus, because God's just that way, he took away my cigarettes, too. So our God's a good God. So, uh, actually, me and Judy uh, were married about four years ago. Uh, God has been so good to me. He has blessed my life with my wife. He's blessed me with the small groups here at Northgate. The, this, this church and my wife have been God's crowning jewels in my life. And little did I know way back when that this, would ever gonna, this was ever going to happen. Because at the time, I couldn't see any kind of light. I didn't know that God existed. Now I do know that God exists. He's a great God. He can, he can make big changes in your life. He did in mine uh, I had made the statement about a year ago to my wife. I said, you know what, I'm, just, I'm not getting filled there at Northgate. I, I need something to do. And uh, don't ever say that out loud so God can hear you, okay? Uh, so anyway, uh, now, now I'm really blessed with uh, my small group, uh, Jeff and Debbie Trazza, uh whom I just love dearly. Uh, I'm in a uh, men's prayer group uh, led by Jim Mitch, and, and, uh, and it's been a, a blessing for me. I'm also involved with our men's ministry now. We have a lot of things coming up this summer. Uh, it, it's been a blessing, and uh, we a new, new member of the Northgate Choir, Marianne Fink, and uh, it's been a blessing. Her and her husband have been a great blessing to me. I just have many, many friends here. Um, we we start a new uh, men's music night. Uh, we meet on Wednesdays once a month. Uh, I go to uh, Rob D. Simone's uh, small group on Monday night for a 12-step program. Uh, that's been a blessing in my life. Uh, and just as recently as this last week, I uh, was privileged to spend some time with uh, Eric Jensen and uh, Exa Karras in feeding the poor over in Vallejo. So I just want to uh, just to tell you that, you know, if you're going through something right now and you can't see the light, Step out on faith. God's there. He's waiting for you. Just put your hand in His and He'll lead you. Thank you.
1: Many in the world would see faith as something simplistic. But throughout the teaching of Jesus, throughout the teaching of this resource, it's heightened. The the perspective is based on our default. Uh, Jim Mitchell last week talked about where Jesus te- taught that faith like a must faith like a mustard seed is used, and it, it's a critical point because faith is really defaulting. Uh, the tiniest portion, thinking of a mustard seed, the tiniest portion of faith of defaulting to someone much bigger much more knowledgeable, exceedingly more powerful, who sees and understands an existence without the limitations of evil, suffering, and death, is incomprehensibly larger than the distorted perspective of all the knowledge that we have in the world, even the tiniest portion, and it makes the the sun and the moon disproportionately look like nothing. The faith is much larger. Even the mustard seed faith is much larger than all the knowledge in the world. The most memorized verse in the Bible is probably John three sixteen, And we read it and utter it and we don't realize the depth of what Jesus is saying. But this is what it means. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have the eternal life. This resource communicates love as a motivation and death and ruin is is acknowledged as the condition. God isn't skimming over anything. The questions those people had in the beginning, it's acknowledged in this statement. The suffering, the evil, the death, the ruin, but they don't have the last word. And faith takes us beyond that. They're here, we have those things, we'll suffer them. There'll be more situations that we talked, like I talked about in the beginning that will occur and we will ask why and we will ask how. But if we look at every word of what Jesus said in John three sixteen, I want to take the liberty of emphasizing the meaning of the language Jesus used and I'll use the Jeff Stewart version. But I looked at every word and this is what it means. Indeed, in this manner, God loved the entire order of humanity, even the people on the street who doubt him as it is, with questions, that he presented his solitary offspring as a beneficial gift so that all who exercise faith in him will not come to ruin. The same word used in Luke 13, will not come to destruction and devastation, but will take hold of life that has no end. Our perspective is skewed, but faith corrects it. We have this umbra, this darkness of knowledge and doubt that we need to cast aside. And faith sees way beyond that. Darkness is encroached by a new horizon of the hope of God's light. Faith sees the light cresting in the darkness. And the language of the New Testament is dominated by, by a change of that, having that distorted perspective based on knowledge and doubt, transforming into a corrected one through faith. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians five sixteen and 17. Now, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, he's not listening. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. In Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death there will be no more mourning or crying or asking why or asking how or doubting the love of God that he even cares or he's in control because the old order has passed away. We believe, we proclaim and it's higher and much more disproportionate than any amount of knowledge or faith that we can have. Trust this word and trust in Christ. I ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Lord, in humility, we believe. There's so much that we cannot explain. And we exercise faith, Lord. We exercise hope because we are in darkness, Lord. We are in a shadow. The doubt and knowledge will stand in the way of your light. You came to us, Lord, to teach us that new perspective. Something that sees the light cresting that gives us the hope that comes out in the language that it is faith that is something that is beyond this life that we can be assured and trust that you will make sure your promises are realized in us, Lord. So we believe and we thank you, Lord, that you give us the hope that there will be a time of no more death, no more evil, no more suffering. We trust in you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.